and we're back. Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 Rooted in Logos podcast. My name is Brad, I'm joined as always by my co-conspirators, Austin and Carter. Hey, what's up? What's up? We are very excited to be here today to bring you another episode. We're going to talk today about ecclesiology. That's a big word, Brad. That is a big word. What is that big word? Ecclesiology means the study of the church. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of the church, what its purpose is. Uh, Thursday, we'll talk about what our role is as church members, healthy church members, and what we as believers are to be doing inside our local church community. Very exciting stuff. We have some good things planned. But before we get started, how's everyone's week going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Actually, after this, I'm going to go change a wheel bearing and knuckle and stuff like that. So That sounds terrible. Yeah. Sounds I'm horrible. not looking forward to it, but <laughs> you know what you got to do, man? My lawnmower is being delivered today, so I get to cut the the jungle that is my front and backyard nice. today. So, and doing it while I'm pain pills because I had the you know the whole wisdom teeth taken out a couple days ago. So that'll be fun. It'll make it more enjoyable, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get started, uh, Carter. You have some statistics for us. So as of 2020, there. 47% of Americans said that they belong in a church. And I mean, that kind of sounds like a little bit, not like a little, that sounds like an all right number. But when you go back to 2018, it was 50%. And then you go all the way back to 1999, it was all the way up to 70%. Oh, wow. That means in the last 20 years, it has dropped almost 30%, which is a pretty scary number to look at. Yeah, so, that's huge. Yeah. Well, I think it makes sense if you start, if you look at our culture and you look at how it's changed, the decline. I mean, even in the, you know, growing up in the 90s and now and just seeing the difference between the two, even just like what's allowed on television, right? You know, back in the because 90s. We're less churched. Yeah. Back in the 90s, it was very rare to hear any cussing on, on television. And now it's rare not to yeah. <laughs> and, and hard to avoid it. So, yeah, it makes sense that as our culture has declined, so is church attendance and church membership. Yeah. They're related. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because I remember, you know, growing up with Dick Van Dyke show and watching them sleep in separate beds. And uh, as a kid, you're like, uh, hey, mom and dad, why are they sleeping in different beds? I'm like, well, back then they did that because they didn't want mm -hmm. to put that on live TV. They didn't want to put that in front of people in their homes. But now they don't care. They oh. just throw it, throw yeah. it right at you. Yeah, like Fight Club. It's aggressive. Says the F word like <laughs> 500 times. Well, and, and I make a little bit of a distinction between <laughs> movies and television because movies, you have some control over what your kids see and what you see. Like as far as when you put in a movie that's rated R, you know what you're getting, yeah. right? Yeah, as true. opposed to television where you turn it on and you, oh, wait a minute. This yeah, isn't great. Yeah, yeah, wasn't expecting that on this, on this show or whatever. So, but yeah. It has absolutely declined and deteriorated, and, and it makes sense because our church uh, attendance has, and our church membership has, um, as well as the family. Yeah, and, and that's it. It's the family. It's I mean, we can get into all types of statistics of the, the ratio of fathers in the home versus what the mothers are, uh, single mothers, stuff like that, and, and that's it. The rate of decline of the family, which we know Satan is attacking the nuclear family. That's uh, an institution by God. He created that. And of course, it would make sense for Satan to attack that. And it trickles down into the church. Because if you have that, then of course you would have the later in the church. Nuclear <coughs> family is 
Two parents, right? Right. New, yeah. Uh, your, your parents and your children. Yeah. Mom and dad. Mom yeah. and dad. By the way. Yeah. Who are married. Man, wife. Yeah. There's like anyway. a bunch of different types now. And I think, um, and I, I know there are statistics out there, but and I don't have them readily available, but the correlation between when the, when the father goes to church and when the rest of the family mm. goes to church is, is pretty striking. Like it, it, it's pretty, uh, they go hand in hand. When the father goes to church, the family follows. Yeah. When the father doesn't go to church, that's when you start seeing those divisions within the family. You start seeing if the wife goes and the dad and, and the husband doesn't, the kids are less likely to go. Yeah. Well, and the kids and are less likely to be involved. You have it where you have the wife that goes and she's dragging the husband to church. And just that that aspect is, again, switching the roles as the man needing to lead his wife, needing to lead his children. He needs to be up. He needs to be the one saying, all right, let's go. Let's go to church. And th- that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, the, the man is meant to lead. That's how God made men. We're, we're meant to lead our wives. And yeah, it's... This this is a whole topic we we of course. we're gonna we're going to get into it sometime. It's Again, a, it's we're a adding it to our big one big list. Uh, we we'll talk so, about it later. We have so many. <laughs> Let me add it to my book. So yeah, looking at the purpose of the church, I wanted to look at the beginning. Where did it start? You know, instead of looking at the New Testament, you know, looking at the apostles, Acts chapter two, when they're at Pentecost, they're they're really getting fired up. They're going. I want to go all the way back to Genesis. I want to look at. Abraham. I'm going to read a few passages going through Genesis and then Romans. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. It says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 5. Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings. So we have the promise to Abraham, which we we know that is the result of the nation of Israel, right? And Israel is God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. Well, we are going to look into the New Testament. We're going to go to Romans. Romans chapter 3, verses 29 through 31. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, now we're going to go to Romans chapter 4, verse 13, 16, 22 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then verses 22 through 25, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us 
who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So looking at Genesis, God's promise to Abram, then Abraham, same person, by the way, that he will make a multitude of nations out of Abraham. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that come to fruition through, you know, the tribe of Israel, the the people of Israel, the Hebrews. And looking to the New Testament, what Paul is saying is that we are children of Abraham by way of faith, by way through righteousness. And my understanding of scripture, what I, what I see from scripture is that is the start of the church. Yeah, you, you see from the very beginning, God calling people to himself and then calling his people to himself, his chosen people. And you're right, for the longest time, it was it was understood as, you know, God calling the Jews and the nation of Israel to himself as his chosen people. But as the New Testament, of course, and Romans, what you mentioned, uh, talking about the, the Gentiles, you know, extending that calling to to us and, and yeah. to, ever, to to the nations, to the world. So I think that actually leads right into a great uh, definition of the church. It's the community of all true believers. Yeah, it's the community of those who call, who understand that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only way to salvation. You know, Ephesians five twenty five says, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her." And Ephesians one twenty two through twenty three say, "And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church." which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so that's, that's, I mean, just the simple, basic definition of the church, the community of all the true believers. Yeah. Even expounding on that, you know, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, where it's talking about the church is the bride of Christ. So what is the church? We are the bride of Christ. Ephesians 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. We are supposed to be the bride of Christ. We are supposed to be acting accordingly together in unity, so that at the end of the age, when we are presented to Christ at the the celebration feast, at the marriage feast, that... I mean, there is supposed to be some semblance of that. And I mean, no offense, but we're kind of doing a bang up job at it. <laughs> and that's all of us that yeah. we all are doing that and we need to be doing better. Right. So the next thing to kind of look at, it's the community of all true believers. And then it get it kind of breaks down from there. It kind of, you have different little subsections from there. So I, I look at uh, the church as being both universal and local. So you have the universal church, you have the big C church, right? Where... It is the community of all true believers. And then you have your local churches. So the church that we attend, the church that you attend, the local churches. Romans 16.5 talks about the local church. It says, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So 1 Corinthians 16.19 say, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So... We see not only the church as a universal group of believers, but we also see the precedent here set for local churches, especially back in those days when travel was not a thing, right? We couldn't, like, they couldn't go to a church 45 minutes away by car because they didn't have a car. So they had to meet in their homes with their community. They had to meet in their houses, meet in their, you know, meet, meet in the public square, meet wherever with the people that are in their immediate area. And that's what 
in that, you know, it's kind of the foundation of the local church, is meeting together with a group of people in your area that are fellow believers. So yeah, let's let's look at that really quick again. What is the purpose of the church? Which this is going to probably step on some toes, but the purpose of the church is for believers. The purpose of the actual church is for the fellowship of fellow believers. I mean, you have you know all those sayings, you know, the church is a, a hospital. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Right. Church is a hospital or yeah. oh, church is for the broken. Is like, well, yeah, church is for the broken because we're all broken. We're all sinful evil people. But as the church, it is supposed to be for the believer, for the believers to come in, to sharpen each other, to learn, to go out, to start talking to the unbeliever, which we'll dive in more to that because I have a lot of scripture being able to back up that. So hang on tight. So further on that, I have that the church is invisible yet visible. And if you look at the invisible side, that's the fellowship, the things that we cannot see with our eyes, but we know is there. And the visible is obviously the building, where you, wherever you gather. So if you look at the invisible part, that's the fellowship, the part that we cannot see. And Romans 12, 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And then you go to the visible side, which is the building, or wherever you meet. Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see that there is two different aspects to it. Like how you said, it's universal but local. It's invisible yet or invisible yet visible, and like we can see who attends the church, but like not their hearts. And the invisible church is the church as God sees it. So like we can't determine someone's heart for being there. We can just see that they're actually there. Which goes back to last week's topic, where we are able to judge the fruits of others, but we can't be the ultimate judge, and we're not ultimately the ones that determine if this person is saved or not. And that's exactly what that says God is able to do that. He's able to see the hearts of all of those involved in the church, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, great point. And and that leads to looking at where does our citizenship lie? Where do we come from? Our citizenship is in heaven. So as as the church, as believers, this is our temporary our temporary home. We're, we're behind enemy lines here, and we're gathering together to reinforce each other, to sharpen each other, to structure each other, and we're waiting to go where we truly belong. So I want to look at real quick, and I'm just going to rattle off a list, basically, of what the Bible calls the church. Some of the some of the uh, analogies, some of the metaphors that, that Scripture uses for the church. And I'm only going to read a couple of verses here and there, uh, and, and even reference only a couple of verses. But I challenge you as a listener to go do this research and to look at each of these metaphors that, that the Bible uses. So the first one is is a family. The Bible the, the Bible calls the church a family. Second um, Corinthians six eighteen says, "And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me," says the Lord Almighty. We're also called the branches on a vine, an olive tree, field of crops, a building, a harvest, a new temple, a new group of priests, God's house, a pillar of truth. And then the two probably most common that you hear are uh, the Bride of Christ and the Body of Christ. Looking at the church as the Bride of Christ, I want to reference uh, or read to you Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Uh, It's the parable of the ten virgins. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. 
And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you neither... For you know neither the day nor the hour. Wow. And so obviously this is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the the ultimate feast at the end of the age that we will be a part of. But also it, it does allude to the church as being the bride of Christ, the church as being his ultimate goal, the, yeah. chur- the church as believers being his ultimate prize, his ultimate possession. Um, and then the body of Christ, uh, you look at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 27. Yep. Bear with me one second because I'm going to look it up real quick. I've got it. Do you? Yep. Okay. So I think actually Austin has this one. So 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, go ahead, Austin. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If the one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so those two, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, are the two that we hear the most often. I think they're the two that the Bible goes in the most detail about. And we're going to get into the body of Christ on Thursday, but just a little preview we all have a role to play in the church. We all have our gifts. We all have our, our talents. We all have the things that we are passionate about when it comes to serving God. And that's what makes the church function. That's what makes it work. And that's what makes it fulfill its purposes. So before we get into the purpose of the church, I want to look at two marks of the church, two things that make a church a church. So the first mark of an actual church, of what makes a church a church, is very practical, very simple, but also very profound and of the utmost importance. It is the word of God is taught. Simply put, salvation is by faith alone. Yes. Taught in context. In context. context. Yeah. (laughs) Taught in context. So for it to be a true church in the eyes of God and, and a true church scripturally, it is Jesus 
and nothing else. Not Jesus and works, not Jesus plus baptism, not Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that. It is just Jesus. It is salvation by faith alone. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Exactly. And if it, if the church, if your church does not teach that, if they want to add works into that, which we see that a lot creeping in with the progressive Christianity, we see it a lot creeping in with critical race theory, where it's Jesus and. Yeah. That's not how this is supposed to work. It's not a true church. If your church is not teaching that, there's an issue. Yeah. The granted, Bible is sufficient. Granted, Christ is sufficient. Of course, works are important, and works are the outward expression of a changed heart, of that faith, of that salvation, but that is not salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing else. Just Jesus. The, the second mark is the observance of baptism in the Lord's Supper. Again, this does not equal salvation, but a true church, it, the mark of a true church is that it practices both of these things. Baptism being the way we admit people into the church, right? So it, it's a show of, I am a believer. It's an outward expression of an inward change. So I am a believer. I affirm that Christ, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection covers my sins. And then the Lord's Supper, which is how the church reaffirms that membership. It's how we as a body stay unified in that we are waiting for the Lord's return and that we are doing this in remembrance of Him. Yeah. And so those three things, the Word of God being taught, salvation by faith alone, baptism in the Lord's Supper, those are the marks of a true Bible-focused church. Of course... There are doctrine issues. There are different things that are going to be a little different between your denominations. But like those three things need to be at the core and the center of the church. And if they're not, again, there might be an issue. So we've looked at the marks. We've looked at some of the metaphors used. Uh, let's, Carter, go into the purpose of the church. I think we have some overlap in ours, so I'm going to let you take the lead on this. All right. And, and whatever uh, whatever's left, I guess I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> Austin, Austin, just sit over there and be quiet. Uh, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Much love. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Go ahead, Carter. So a way to understand the purposes of church is to look at it in terms of ministry. And if you split it up into three, each church should have like a equal balance of these three and not just like heavy on two and then neglect the third. Like these are all important to be a church. So the first one is ministry to God and then ministry to believers and ministry to the world. So if you look at each of those deeper um, ministry to God is worship. And Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we are to worship God in a church. And worship is not an action leading up to the sermon. And like, if you look at it chronologically, it is before the sermon most of the time. And like, it is leading up to it. But like, it's not just a space filler like it is equally as important as the sermon and it is a purpose in and of itself so that's the ministry to god and it can look in different it can take different forms right so you have your you have your typical worship with, with the the band or or the organ or whatever whatever you, your fancy whatever you use uh it can also be liturgy it could be just reading the word together right it could just be Simply reciting a statement of faith, reciting a call to worship, reciting something like that, where you're just you're focusing on God and you're focusing on Him and starting. And I think the reason why we usually start with worship is it allows us to take that focus off ourselves and prepare. And it gets me pumped. I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah, absolutely. See, I'm actually of the the other mindset. I would actually like it if most of your worship music was after the service 
So my thought process is go through the service, enriching in the word, having that expository teaching, and then you have that worship music, and then you have communion. Because then you've gone through it, you've gone yeah. through the service, you've gone through the worship music, and you are truly, because with communion, you are looking within. You are saying, okay, well, there are these issues that I have, Lord God, please forgive me, uh, this week or just this past hour. You're looking within yourself. It's like, for me, I think that would help with that, because you've already listened to the word, you've listened to the music, now your heart's ready for it. But And that's one thing we can do at a different time. Look at worship, all the different forms of worship. Like in the Old Testament, you got David, he's dancing before the Lord. And then now nowadays, when people think of worship, it's just music. It's like, well, there, there's a lot of ways you can worship the God of the universe. So yeah, that that's something absolutely. we'll dive into as well. Not today. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> All right. So looking at the second ministry, ministry to believers, that is nurturing. The church has an obligation and like it is an obligation. It's not just like an opportunity or a chance to do this. We have the obligation to nurture those who are believers and mature them in their faith. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then also Ephesians 4.12 and 13, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is contrary to the New Testament to think we just bring them there to be saved. We are to mature them in their faith and be together as a church. Yeah, it, it's so important to have a church that is solid biblically when it comes to their teaching, okay? And, and to have a church that doesn't take the Bible out of context, that doesn't water down the gospel, doesn't mm -hmm. water down what the Bible says. As a believer, we should be going into church, and not necessarily every single week, every single time someone, there's a sermon, but like on a very regular basis, our toes should be stepped on on some level. Yeah. We should have some sort of conviction, some sort of like, oh, hey, I am lacking in this area. And if that doesn't happen to you, one of two things, either you need to kind of look inward and look and, okay, is there something going on in my heart that needs to be changed that God needs to deal with, or are they preaching the Bible? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's going to be one of those two issues if yeah. you're not being convicted while in church. Okay, and that's it, because if you're not convicted in church, well, like you said, that should probably mean you're perfect, right? If if you're not being convicted in church, so yeah, either A, they're not preaching the, the word, or B, you're perfect. So therefore, you, you don't have anything to worry about. I do want to say, too, don't let that be your only meal. Yes. Okay? Yes. So just think of it as a meal. If you only ate one meal a week on Sunday... No, no. Probably starve, right? Or not necessarily starve, but like you would be weak. You would you would not be nourished. You would not have all the strength you need to get through the rest of the week. Eventually, you would die. And eventually, you would die. Yeah. So, look at that on a spiritual level. If your only meal, if, you, if the only time you hear the word and, and you dig into the word is on Sunday morning, and it's your pastor giving that to you, you will be spiritually weak. You will be spiritually malnourished. And that is very important to understand, yes... What they what 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 is preached from the pulpit needs to convict you. It needs to teach you. It needs to move you forward in wisdom. It needs to mature you in your faith, as as uh, Ephesians says. But then you need to start on your own, maturing yourself in in the faith and, and digging into the Word and and spiritually feeding yourself. Yeah, daily. Well, and it's like looking at a, at a different metaphor. When you code, when your heart stops beating 
and you know EMS EMS arrives and they hook you up to the uh, heart monitor. No, the no. actual thing that zap. Oh, defibrillator. Defibrillator. Thank you. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, they hook you up to the defibrillator. They're doing CPR. It shocks your heart. They keep going. Okay, think of going to church on Sunday. That's your only feeding. The defibrillator hits your heart once, and then you're going a week without your heart beating. You're dead. I'm sorry. You, you, your heart is not beating. There's no blood flow to your brain, your extremities. You're dead. The next Sunday comes around, and you're fed again. You get zapped once. There's no purpose. There's no purpose for the defibrillator. So what are you doing? You need to wake up. You need to be getting that shock every day, multiple times a day. How are you feeding yourself? You, you, we need to be looking at that. And that is such an important part of the church, yeah. is, is nurturing the believer and maturing the believer. Uh, so yeah, looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, I kind of wanted to dig in a little bit deeper with that. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it, and then we're, we're going to kind of look at each individual piece. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, the son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So looking at that, let's let's dive into it. <laughs> this section of scripture has everything that the church needs to be healthy. So, unity in the body. Persons in the church to lead, teach, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You have the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, the prophets, the apostles. They're there to equip the saints. They're there to equip the people within the church to teach them of God's word. Building up of the body. We are to be building each other up as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ until we are truly unified in the basic truths of Scripture. What are the basic truths? I mean, Christ is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. Again, He is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, so we need to be teaching that. Mature manhood. We need to be mature in the faith of Christ. And you know, that gets into different things of, again, we're talking about children feeding each other milk. After the milk, we have to be progressing. We have to be getting into solid foods. If you're staying at the milk side of things, it is not enough. Not able to be swayed, tossed to and fro from doctrine to doctrine by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. We have to be solid enough in our faith in the word in Christ that we're able to decipher what is true and what is not. Which is, for me, the purpose of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Not just to teach this, but also for me myself to become more solid and become more firm, teaching others and teaching myself through the study of this, because we are being attacked. I keep saying this over and over again, we are being attacked. Progressivism and, and CRT and all these things are, are in the church and they are not the gospel. They are not yeah. truth. We have to be able to decipher that. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it, leading into the reason why we're doing this, 
able to speak truth in love. We're we're trying to speak truth, but we're also trying to be loving because I there are several topics that all of us are very passionate about, and we're trying not to come out throwing fists <laughs> and. And again, it, it's hard because there are things that we see. They're like, why in the world are you guys doing this? And we need to take that step back and be like, all right, able to speak truth and love, love, agape. Okay. And then present the issue and a solution. So next, we are to be growing, growing our faith in Christ always. That is important. If you have a church that is not growing, and I'm not just talking about, you know, attendance, I'm talking about the people that are there, the already solidified believers that they're stagnant, they're not growing. That needs to be happening within the church. We need to be unified, held together by every member of the body. Again, 1 Corinthians, talking about the members of the body. We are a solid body, and we need to be supporting each other, but we have to be doing it as a single unit. The arm can't just hold up the hand. The body needs to hold the hand. The, the leg can't hold the foot without the rest of the body holding the leg. We need to be holding each other together. When each member is doing what they are meant to do, the church will be well equipped with everything the church needs to grow and build itself up in agape, in love, in Christ. Great stuff. So we have, we have the, the, the worship, we have the nurturing, and Carter, what is the next ministry? So yeah, that's the first two. And then the third one, the ministry to the world, that is evangelism and mercy. The One of the primary ministries of this is Jesus's commandment in Matthew 28, the great commandment or the great commission to go and make disciples. Another one is mercy, caring for the poor and needy for the Lord. And like that for the Lord is important because like you see like YouTubers are always making like, I just bought a homeless man a house, which that's good, but it's not in the name of the Lord. Like they're just doing it probably to better themselves or look better. Well, if they're making a YouTube saying, hey, look, I just did <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Probably yeah. so. <laughs> I should have taken that coffee. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one that's on pain med. It's not you. Why Honestly, you? this <laughs> coffee has made me start coughing more. I, I don't know. So I stopped drinking it. Anyway. We need to help even unbelievers. Like you think of it like what we just said, maturing each other. We think of it only as Christians talking to Christians, but we also need to help unbelievers. And I have two verses in Luke, actually, for that. Luke's chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So right there it says, even as your Father is merciful, we're called to do like Jesus does. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every Every one of them and healed them. So I want to focus on where it says he laid hand, his hands on every one of them. He laid hands on everyone, no one in particular. He didn't just do his followers, but he laid his hands on every person that was there. Not just Jews, but Greeks. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, that's the third ministry, the evangelism and mercy. So we just got to be evangelizing and being mercy to people. Yeah. I think, oh, go ahead. Well, and, so, and, you know, we have our pet peeves, right? <laughs> so an, an issue I have with the modern day church is the the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. You know, the church looks at, how can we bring more people in? Let's bring more people. Just get them in, get them in, get them in. Let's fill the pews. Let's fill the the seats. And they're getting these unbelievers in. And because of that, they're watering down the scriptures. They're watering down the teaching so that you have these (coughs) solid believers. You have these people firm in their faith 
that are now going back to milk. Now, granted, it leads into other things you need to be able feeding yourself other ways, not just on Sundays. But if you're going to a church that all that's being taught is milk, and even at that watered down milk, I, I'm I'm done. I'm leaving because I'm like this is not what church is for. Church is for the believer, which I'd like to actually look at. Okay, let's look at the Great Commission after the church does what it's supposed to do. After it sharpens, after it teaches, after it's building up and equipping the saints, then we are supposed to go out. So, real quick, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. It's Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So looking at a few, you know, four major things that the Great Commission points out. Number one, that is our segment to go out into the world, leaving the church for a short time, going out and, you know, spreading God's truth, spreading what Jesus has taught us. That is where we make disciples of all nations. After we make disciples of all nations, then we baptize. But the important part of that is the fourth. It is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Because if you go out in the world, you make a disciple, you baptize, and then you leave. What did that do? Nothing. Looking at Paul, when he went to a town, he started a church. He was there for several years. He was teaching. He was literally discipling these new disciples. And looking at Jesus, look at his main disciples. He didn't go out and have millions of disciples. He had his select few. He poured into them. He taught them. Looking at Paul, he had his main ones, Timothy, uh, several others. He poured into them. He went to these places. After he was done teaching, he moved on, but he stayed with them. He wrote them letters. He sent his disciples to them to continue their teaching. That is so important that I think the church forgets as well, because they're all about, yeah, let's go in the mission field. Let's go out. Let's let's do that. And I love how our church has young men that are so minded like that, that they're able to go out making disciples, but they're teaching. And I love it. So again, that's that's an important part that we need to remember. For sure. And on the mercy side, so you spoke to the evangelism side on the mercy side. I think the church has really dropped the ball there as well and let the, let the state, let the government take that role. Yeah. Right? So we are showing mercy. We are, we are helping the poor, the needy, the widow. And I do think, I think our church does some good things with that. Um, and I think other church, a lot of other churches do, but these social programs that the government brings in, it's That's not the government's the role. Church. It's the replacing. church's role. The church's role is to care for those who are single moms mm-hmm. and 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 families that are broken and those who are drug addicts and and alcoholics and and the church is who should be taking that on. Yeah. Not the government. And the church has dropped the ball with that by abdicating that responsibility and saying, "Okay, the government will do this. We'll do something else." Exactly. It's not how it's supposed to be. So we got the ministry to the uh, ministry to God, ministry to believers, and ministry to the world. And so when you look at these, people might ask, like, which one is more important? Which one do you think that they should focus on the most? And then just like the other two will follow. Mm. We need to realize that all three need to be equally displayed and. a strong church should have effective ministries in all all three of these areas because to look at one is more important. You're neglecting the other two. And 
I mean, it's cool to like look at one and say like, man, that's like you think one of them is more important. But then the cool thing is the other two are just as important. Yeah. To make sure that the church you're going to has effective ministries in all three of these. And, and and that's it looking, okay, our purpose as Christians, our purpose as people on earth, we are to give glory to God. We are here for his glory. Purpose of the church is to equip the saints, to get them ready to go out in the world to proclaim Christ. And it it, it goes into all three of those. And it's, it is so important because, yeah, if you're lacking in one of those, the, the other two are lacking. You, you cannot have a sufficient church if one of them are lacking. Yeah, and like a church that emphasizes only worship will end up very shallow in their uh, Bible knowledge because they're not teaching it. Or if they are not evangelizing and being merciful, then they will just cease to grow. So yeah, you need all three of them or it's not a strong, good church. Or a, bi- or a church that focuses only on only on the gospel proper, like just, mm-hmm. just the gospel and doesn't dig into the meat. And and yeah, will also cease to grow because it it won't grow spiritually. I do like there was a church I went to for a while that focused on the gospel, of course, and it it every sermon the gospel was presented, but also they were digging deep and they were mm. really digging into the meat of scripture and they would work the gospel into that and say because of this gospel, this is why we're teaching this, and they were able to do both. It was a cool just kind of dual dual purpose of the sermon is yes, we're gonna teach you spiritually mature things, but we're also going to remind you of the gospel and and point back to that, because that all points back to that. And something I just remembered, I was going to say it during, or while I was speaking about the ministry to God, but I just remembered it now. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago. I think it was called Rethinking Church, and it was this guy- Wait, you listen to podcasts other than ours? How dare, <laughs> just this one. How, how dare you? That was before we started. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, now makes now since okay. we started, yeah, okay nothing then. else. I just heard you listening to someone else's podcast. <laughs> all right, all right, no, 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 no. We're not talking about me right now. <laughs> but yeah, his name was Francis Chan. I almost just said Jackie Chan. But his I name mean, was... pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> and like, they were, they were at this conference and a lot of conferences are just based on fun or like high energy. And he was like giving a lesson or something. Uh, I guess it could be called a sermon. But he's... He, introduces himself and then goes how are you guys doing you having fun they're all like yeah we're having so much fun and then he's like or no he says are you guys enjoying this and then he just goes is god enjoying this and people were like hmm i didn't think about that and it was like most of the time for spiritual things nobody can or nobody thinks to consider is god enjoying this there's like yeah we're worshiping we're doing good we got this so yeah i want to look also at acts chapter 2 Verses forty-two through forty-seven. So this is this is after Pentecost. This is after three thousand souls were added to the Book of Life, and the, this was really the start of the church. Once there was this group of believers that were hungry and they wanted more, this was, from my understanding of Scripture, my belief, this is truly the foundation of when the church began. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then I'll pick out some major points. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So looking at it from the church perspective, when it's talking about, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? About Christ, about Christ's life, about his teachings. Teaching biblical doctrine, preaching the gospel, preaching truths, logos. Second, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. You need a place to meet to be able to fellowship. And, and that's anywhere, outside, at a picnic table, um, doing it inside your home, doing it in a, a big building. Now we call a church. Again, the church is people, not the building. Third, observing and sharing communion between each other and God. Breaking bread in the church where you are truly remembering communion with Christ. Fourth, and very important, is prayer. We need to be praying as a church, as an entire church. Because, again, it's a two-way conversation. If you're reading and teaching scripture, I mean, that's awesome. So you're learning, and God is speaking to you, but how are you speaking to God? And you need to be praying. So we're going to look at, real quick, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So we need to be praying. And and fellowship, it's talking about they were going into each other's homes. They were breaking bread with each other. They had all things in common. If we are truly in scripture as believers, as a unit as the church, we will find that we have things in common and we will want to be around each other. If if you don't want to be around people in the, in the church, you don't want to have anything to do with them, you show up on Sunday, you might have a dinner with them every once in a while, there might be something wrong. You, we need to be having that fellowship, meeting with these people as often as we can, breaking bread, having meals. <laughs> I grew up Baptist, Southern Baptist. So that was something we did a lot. The potlucks, you know, have, being able to get together and share those meals. But then on the other side of that, the communion. Um, that That's one thing that really stunk on the the Baptist side growing up. You know, we had communion maybe once a quarter. Right. And, and that was maybe. And so it for me, it was such a weird thing going into a church that did it every week. And I'm like, this, this is weird. I don't know how I feel about this. But I... It was refreshing being able to get deeper into scripture and understanding from from the spirit. It's like it it's needed. That is needed. Yeah, absolutely. So just to wrap this up, I really want to encourage encourage our listeners to kind of study deeper into this topic. Look at the church you are attending and see if it meets these requirements. Is it is it preaching solid scripture? Are you all taking the Lord's Supper? Are you participating in baptism? Is it a seeker-sensitive church where it's watering down the gospel? Is it a church full of on-fire believers? Or is it a stagnant, just kind of like, go through the motions every week? Really dig in. Dig into your own personal study. Feed yourself as well, right? Don't just rely on the sermon each week to get your spiritual food or a spiritual heart shock. Yeah. Is your church growing? Not Not not, just numbers. Not just numbers, but yeah. yeah. Are you growing? Is are the the fellow believers that you're next to, are you guys truly growing, or are you standing still? Are you stagnant? And it, it can be hard to decipher that. 
because you're you're next to these people every day. You that needs to be part of your prayer. Like, all right, Lord, is, are we doing what you would have us do? Because we we know God's will. It's set through Scripture, but we we need to as as Philippians said, we need to be able to bring these things to Him, whatever they are. And yeah, are are you growing? And just real quick, I want to leave two questions for personal application, so another homework assignment. Uh, the first one will be, when you think of the church as the invisible fellowship of all, of all true believers throughout all time, how does it affect the way you think of yourself as an individual Christian? And then second, to which purpose of the church do you think you can most effectively contribute? Which purpose has God placed in your heart? A strong desire to fulfill. Think through those. Talk talk through them with your with your spouses, your kids. Uh, you don't have or, to like, or in my case, your dog. You know, just see if <laughs> you don't have to like sit down fully, formally write it out. Just think about it, yeah. ponder it. Yeah, yeah, it helps you remember it. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on episode seven of the Rooted in Logos podcast. We have a website, rootedinlogospod.com. <laughs> I should know this by now, uh, but we're going to start doing some more on that. Uh, also, stay tuned. We are going to have an announcement on how you can support us through this, uh, hopefully in the next episode. And we will see you guys on Thursday. Stay rooted, San Diego. Not San Diego. No. no. Lanesville. Stay, mm. Stay rooted. The world. We're, we're talking to the world, man. People in Italy, we're talking. Yeah, but remember what Tim said? Get Lanesville on the map. All right, Lanesville on the map. <laughs> Lanesville, Indiana. Shout out. Yeah, stay rooted. Yes. Stay, stay rooted. rooted. Peace out. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can find us on Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogospod.